five, really, of this UAW strike. Are uh, Brian, are you are you as concerned as I am? Because I've heard from some people that perhaps they are closer than than some may think. I'm not. I, I, you know, Sean Fain came out last night and said that that by the end of the week, if they are not any meaning, any closer to a meaningful deal, then they're going to add more plants on. Are, 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 what is your gut telling on you on this? Because I, to me, this feels like they're still far apart. Yeah, it doesn't feel like we're getting any closer to anything ending, does it? No. No, and it's unfortunate, but yeah, but we good. will we will talk about the UAW strike coming up uh, in just a couple of minutes with Merrick Masters uh, out at Wayne State. Um, also today, Mel Tucker has responded to the letter that was put out by Alan Howler, the athletic director at Michigan State University, yesterday, saying that they uh, intend to terminate Mel Tucker's contract. Which, I, you know, I don't know that even at this point, right? I think when you violate the turpitude clause in a contract, when you bring shame or perceived shame onto, in this case, the university, it's over. Whatever this relationship was, however consensual it was, it's over. You had a relationship with a vendor. That's, that's enough. That's enough. And then you admitted to phone sex with somebody who has made their life uh, advocating for sexual abuse survivors and trying to stop this perpetual state of abuse on college campuses. So the, the optics are not good. The optics brought shame on the university. So Mel Tucker today came out and had some pretty interesting things to say. In this lengthy con- uh, lengthy statement through his attorney. And one of them is alluding to a potential lawsuit. Here's what Mel Tucker said uh, uh, among the many things he said in this page-long rebuttal to Alan Howard yesterday. I look forward to one day obtaining discovery against MSU including the trustees and the athletic department to see what they really knew and said about the matter, as well as their motives in handling the entire investigative process. Now, also yesterday in Alan Haller's statement, he said that this early October hearing that's been scheduled in the title nine investigation will go on, but they do intend to terminate his contract. Here's another interesting thing. That Mel Tucker said through his his attorney. MSU knew about the information on which it supposedly relies to end my contract since at least March 2023. The complaint was filed, remember, a few months earlier in December. Yet only after Ms. Tracy and potentially others leaked the confidential investigation to the press did MSU suddenly decide this same information warrants termination. So Mel Tucker basically saying, well, you knew the details all along and you decided not to act. But once it became public, well, you had to to, to jump on the, the morality horse. And I find it to be incredibly interesting if Mel Tucker is telling the truth, 
if they really knew about all of this information. He says MSU knew about the information on which it supposedly relies to end my contract. About six months before the contract became, or, or, or the, the, the details of the investigation became public. I, I think there are a lot of questions here that the school still needs to answer. And, and Mel Tucker, I thought his first response was incredibly abrasive. I thought it showed that he was going to fight this tooth and nail. This was not going to just go away. This, he was not going to just take this lying down. And, and now, uh, with a little bit of clarity... That he's gonna he's gonna he, he's gonna depose essentially the school to find out what's going on here. So this this story, while you know Mel Tucker's time at MSU is coming to an end, um, and and the investigation will culminate with this hearing in early October. This is this story is not going away. This story is not done. If you're Mel Tucker, don't you just sort of accept your fate and move on at this point? But here's the thing. Yes. I think in Mel Tucker's case, in a perfect world, Mel Tucker would probably not end up coaching. He couldn't. He couldn't go into a high schooler's home and try to sell Michigan State and try to sell him as a steward of young men and be that leader that he probably told a lot of families that he would be. He can't do that now, right? right. That, that's impossible. That, that is a Herculean task that he wouldn't be able to, to handle. And nobody could. Um, but at the end of the day, this is about money. And he signed a $95 million guaranteed deal. And all of that is going away. You know, he's going to lose upwards of $80 million. Well, that's true. But uh, who do we have to blame for that? Well, again, I think cooler heads would think it would be Mel Tucker. Yeah. But for somebody who's essentially losing $80 million. Well, $80 million is a lot of money, but it seems sort of to publicly shoot yourself in the foot and then walk around going, who shot me in the foot? It right. seems a little ridiculous to me to try to get money out of people. It, it is. It, it does seem ridiculous. But I, I think at this point, he's grasping at straws, trying to find what it is that he might be able to grasp onto. Because, he, again, Let's operate under the assumption that Mel Tucker is telling the truth, that everything here was consensual. All of this was on the up and up. This was still a vendor that you hired right. to come into your school. So it can't be consensual. And this was still a, a, a situation that brought some sort of, shed some sort of bad light on Michigan State. Boom, done, turpitude clause, violated, done. Like, I, it's it. That's the way it goes. So I, I think that even if Mel Tucker were to be right and justified and and proven right in this case, I don't know that any of it makes a difference because I think the result still is probably the same. Uh, all right. WJR Senior News Analyst Lloyd Jackson is here. Uh, and and look, the auto show is going on down at Huntington Place, and there are so many different facets to the automotive industry. Uh, Lloyd, I can't wait to hear about one of them. What's up, bud? Hey, guy. Uh, yeah, uh, I spoke with Chris 
Twining. He's the CEO of Tajian Automotive Technology during the Technology Days at the 2023 North American International Auto Show last week. And Twining, uh, as you know, brings more than 20 years of automotive industry and manufacturing operations experience to the job. And I asked him to explain what Tajian Automotive Technologies is. Tajian Automotive Technologies is a tier one supplier of advanced composite materials to the global automotive industry. You know, we're well positioned, uh, you know, globally, as I stated, you know, we employ over 5,000 people across 28 factories in three continents, you know, doing about 1.3 billion in, in annual sales. There is a shift taking place from internal combustion engine automobiles to electric vehicles. And I asked Chris how that shift has affected his business. Well, it's something we're, we're actually very excited about. You know, we're well positioned to serve the EV market. And, and what some folks don't know is we've actually been doing it for a number of years now. Uh, you know, we compound our own proprietary composite formulations that, that allow customers to address concerns, including lightweighting, durability, and flame retardancy. And as I stated, you know, we're, we're already manufacturing EV covers for a number of OEMs and been doing so for, for some time, you know, going back um, to the Chevy Spark a number of years ago. So for, for us, like, you know, one key thing, you know, for us is that, you know, our composites and S&C specifically, you know, we're more than lightweight, like what everyone wants to think about first. You know, but in addition to that, you know, that well positions us in the EV market, you know, obviously from, you know, thermal runaway as well as, you know, improving overall range because of that lightweight perspective. Chris Twining says Tation is also working on new technologies like Hexacore and Fomacore. Hexacore it, it enables lightweight Class A body panels, roof panel enclosures. You know, Hexacore, Hexacore combines Class A outer panels with a cellular core material in a single high-speed bonding and forming step. Potential skins to this are SMC and RTM composites, as well as a number of thermoplastics. Formacore, something else we're really excited about, not quite as far along as our, our hexacore, but something that we're advancing quickly. Formacore is, is a, a high-impact, moisture-impervious impervious sandwich composite panel. It has a high strength impact, which means it's well-suited for a number of demanding applications. Again, provides faster cycle times than a number of, of current composite molding technologies. In-mold sealing uh, means that the, the core is more encapsulated and, and protected. You know, in addition, we can offer you know, net-shaped molded cores to reduce all-fall and scrap. Again, focusing on a, on a reduction of cost overall you know, from a material standpoint, from an improved quality standpoint, the overall landed cost is better, and you get a better, more durable product at the end of the day. To learn more about Tasian Automotive Technologies, headquartered in Auburn Hills, head over to their website at TasianAutomotive.com. That's T-E-I-J-I-N Automotive.com. Chris? Another great homegrown auto yes. company uh, in our area. Lloyd Jackson, thank you. Appreciate it. Thank you, Chris. All right, we got to take a break. Speaking of auto, we will talk with Merrick Masters, business professor and labor expert at Wayne State University as these contract negotiations and now strike continues between the UAW and the Big Three. That's next on JR Afternoon. It's the first time ever that the UAW has struck all three. All three of the Big Three. And... They are doing it in a clever way as to keep a, a hold of that strike fund for as long as possible. But who really holds the leverage here? And, and for, for companies like Ford, General Motors, and Stellantis, are they really 
is at what point does this become a dire situation for them? Merrick Masters is a business professor and labor expert at Wayne State University and joins us. Uh, Merrick, it's it's good to talk with you once again. Who do you think holds the the the, the upper hand in this case? Because look, you've got ninety seven percent of the rank and file that voted to strike if necessary. Sean Fain led them to that that finish line, and and now. Uh, these talks are ongoing with with I don't know how much of an indication that we are closer, but but who do you think holds the upper hand here? Well, I think right now, in some ways, you could argue the union holds the upper hand because they've got the companies off balance. They're calling the shots when it comes to introducing strikes and they're inflicting harm on the companies uh, in proportion to the level of strike activity they undertake. Um, But um, both sides, I would say, are very vulnerable. Um, The UAW is vulnerable because it's in a weakened position in the industry due to electrification, the growth of non-union electrical vehicle producers. And the companies are in a vulnerable position because of the pressure they're under to finance electrical vehicles, that is by government mandate, as much as it is by customer preference. Mm -hmm. So this is going to become very much a contest of economic power and endurance. And unless the parties are able to um, be more flexible and reasonable about what they need to get this settled and move on. We saw Ford's answer to this. They laid off uh, about 600 workers uh, as, as the, the UAW targeted a few plans that we, we talked about last week. Um, where do you think the dance really comes into play? Because what Ford said was, well, all of our, our operations are intertwined. But you've got the UAW taking no shots. They're going to they're gonna do what they need to do, what they feel will, will inflict the most pain on these automakers. But, but the autos have some, some ways to counterpunch here. How are we going to see this dance kind of play out between the two? Well, the costs of the strike um, increase geometrically as the volume of strike activity goes up and as it endures, it goes on longer. So ultimately, you're going to get to the point where if it's a company-wide strike, uh, that each of the companies is going to lose $500 million or more um dollars a week and the uaw as it has to pay more of its strike fund is going to rapidly deplete its strike fund and the water wider economy in terms of suppliers are going to be adversely affected which has already started to take place so the ripple effect will compound and, and you know it then becomes a question as to how much pain people are willing to suffer before they make the concessions that are necessary, probably to have gotten an agreement that they could come close to getting right now uh, if they would just knuckle down and realize that certain things um, are not on the table. They're just not going to be granted as part of this bargain with the union. In terms of what we're seeing across the country involving labor unions, whether it's the Teamsters and UPS or what we're seeing with the writers and and SAG-AFTRA out in in Hollywood, 
is is there a, a lesson that the UAW is learning from from those situations? How are they applying what 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 those unions did or are doing into what they're working into now? Well, I would say that the UAW has a much more ambitious list of demands than the other companies, the other unions have. Uh, and their demands include not only sizable wage increases and protection from inflation in one form or another, <clears throat> and dealing with staffing issues such as temporary employees and progression and tiers. They also want restoration of retiree health care, restoration of defined benefit pension plans, and restoration of the job banks, plus the cost of living allowance and the right to strike over plant closures, plus some additional money allocated to retirees. All of those things, I think, you know, in the latter category are, are just largely non-starters. Uh, the companies cannot balloon their balance sheets. They can afford to expend a large number, a large amount of cash and give the workers, I think, a sizable wage increase, more than what they've been offering. I think they can give them sizable profit. Uh, they, they can do better in terms of what they provide in terms of profit sharing. Uh, they could also um, give them uh, some additional lump sum payments uh, that, for example, a sizable ratification bonus as they proposed uh, and additional contributions to their defined contribution plans and perhaps some lump sum payments to retirees. All those things, I think, are, are doable. Um, but um, if it's the whole ball of wax and they want to restore all the things that they were forced to suspend, both the companies and the union, during bankruptcy, then I think that um, we're going to be in for a very long strike. And I would doubt that the Biden administration would would allow it to go on very much beyond a few weeks without trying to intervene more directly into the negotiations. Are, are we going to see a situation where these auto companies are going to be significantly raising the cost of vehicles? And I think the cost of vehicles have already skyrocketed over the last decade. But but certainly as as the workers become more sporadic, less more plants become uh, 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 strike plants. What, what does that do to the average consumer? Well, I mean, if they increase labor costs, you know, the companies have three alternatives. One, they can absorb it, and that reduces their profits, and that decreases their interest to investors. Uh, they can cut other costs. Uh, they're in the process of doing that, and they can probably accommodate some of the labor cost increase and reductions and other costs. Uh, or they can pass it along to consumers in the form of price increases, and I'm certain that they will um, do that as well. So they'll raise the prices of vehicles where they think that they can do so and still make sales. And ultimately, somebody's going to have to pay for the increase um, beyond just the companies and reducing their profitability because they need the capital to finance their future operations. Which are more expensive. As, as they make the shift towards uh, you know, electric they, vehicles. They've got to invest a lot in the transition to electrification. Yeah. Eventually, the production process may become more efficient, and they can lower the costs. Uh, but we're in a transition period. It's difficult, and there will be pain on all sides. And I think the UAW is right to 
point up that the labor deserves to be treated fairly and justly mm-hmm. in this transition. The question is, on, on a contractual basis, what does that mean? Uh, all interesting questions, and hopefully uh, we gain some clarity over the coming days uh, and, and hopefully not quite weeks. Merrick Masters, always good to catch up. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Appreciate it. Take yeah, care. you got it. We'll talk again soon. 800-859-0957, 800-859-0WJR. If you want to weigh on that, it's there for you. Coming up next, we're going to talk to Christina Caramo, the chairwoman of the Michigan Republican Party. The upcoming Mackinac Leadership Conference is coming up. We'll talk about who they've got coming and maybe who they don't. That's next on JR Afternoon. All right, welcome back. Good to have you with us. It is a yearly tradition that the Michigan Republicans gather on Mackinac Island for their uh, annual Mackinac Conference, uh, a way to get everybody together, talk about the way forward. And certainly uh, that will be the, the case once again, as it's the 35th Mackinac Republican Leadership Conference. And of course, headed up by Christina Caramo, the chair of the Michigan Republican Party. Christine, it's good to have you. Hi, Chris. Thank you for having me on. Well, t- talk to me a little bit about uh, the the event uh, up at the Grand Hotel. Um, you've got yes, uh, you've got a lot of people coming. Uh, so I, I want you to kind of lay out who you got coming and 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 the, the tenor of the conversation that'll take place up on the island. Yes. Again, thank you for having me on. So our 35th biannual Mackinac Leadership Conference is just really an important tradition within the Republican Party where we gather conservative minds together to think, to discuss on ways to move our mission for uh, we are the party of the Constitution. So we have a really great lineup of people who are really going to help us look different and deeper into how we can advocate for our issues. One of the challenges within the Republican Party is that we have not done a good job on messaging and communicating the issues. One of the most obvious issues is oftentimes we're known as a party that's pro-business, and we really advocate for protecting small businesses. But what has occurred is that unless a person owns a small business, they don't fully understand that, not everyone, but many times it's just checks out mentally because people have a tendency of not caring about things that don't impact them. However, protecting our small business community is necessary for our freedom. It's about controlling the means of production and consumption and keeping that in the hands of the people and not in this public-private partnership, which we see Gretchen Whitmer advocating for. So we have some really great people, also like Jim Caviezel, who is star of the movie Sound of Freedom, going to talk about the important fight against sex trafficking. Uh, Human trafficking is a huge business. It's worse than drugs um, because the sad reality is that the the criminal, the the, the monster, can continue to make more dollars off of a human victim versus a product that's consumed and it's over with. So we're going to talk about, you know, how do we combat these issues? We're really excited to have uh, some members of our congressional delegation from Michigan, Uh, We're really looking forward to our Made in Michigan panel with Congressman John Molinar, Congressman Tim Wahlberg, and also Congressman Jack Bergman, where they will discuss, you know, some unique things happening in Michigan and why Michigan is such an important state. Uh, One thing we need to remember is that with the Great Lakes, we have the largest freshwater supply that we are to be stewards of. So there's so much opportunity here in Michigan. And one of the things that we're really pushing as a Republican Party is the repatriatization of manufacturing, especially with the push for EV vehicles. What people need to understand, the reason why that's so problematic is that those vehicles rely on components that come from China. 
And so that means that Americans will not be able to move to get to where we need to go without the blessing of the Chinese Communist Party if we move to EV vehicles. Not to mention those batteries cannot be disposed of. They cannot be recycled. It's a huge environmental hazard to even make these batteries. So we really want to push a different vision as to where America needs to be at to make sure that it's a prosperous place for everyone. Christina Caramo, the head of the Michigan Republican Party, joins us. It, there, there's been much made about the financial situation of of the Michigan GOP when you when everything is all said and done and and the facilities at the Grand Hotel and the speakers. What what kind of position is the Michigan GOP in financially to tackle the 2024 presidential election? Well, we're really excited about the direction that we're heading in at the Michigan Republican Party to keep in perspective for people. Michigan Republicans have experienced three cycles of defeat, three cycles of defeat. And so people definitely, after that type of defeat, three cycles in a row, wanted a different direction as to where the party needs to go. And so we're very excited at the people that we're bringing on board, the coalition of individuals who have been completely disengaged from the Republican Party because they felt it did not represent them. And people got really tired of seeing, sending Republicans to Lansing or Washington, and then they always reason their way to an action and vote like Democrats. People didn't want that anymore. So we're really excited about the direction this party is moving in financially, uh, the direction this party is moving in politically, and we are growing our tent without compromising our message that we are the party of the Constitution. Um, the, the push for it toward globalism, which is something Gretchen Whitmer is really all about, is something that should concern us because that is a threat to our sovereignty. You know, making sure we protect parents' rights. I mean, this notion that the Democrats have that it's really the government should have a say in how you parent and not you, the person who gave birth and created this child. So we are being doing a better job of getting that message out there and not being uh, not apologizing for it. So, so, so you, you, you think you've got the dough in the coffers to, to make a difference here in Michigan? Well, the thing about it is we are growing our coalitions. Yes, we will. It's not, of course, it's not finished. But the thing about it is, Chris, how many years have we heard people just make it all about money and lose? Of course, you need millions of dollars, but millions of dollars in, in, in defeat is, is an insult to the Republicans of Michigan. Millions of dollars in consistently losing is an insult to the Republicans of Michigan. We need millions of dollars in victory. And victory isn't just raising money and winning elections. It's about moving this nation forward back to our constitutionalist principles to ensure that we protect the liberty of all Michiganders. That's the direction we're moving in, and, and, and that's, the, that's the positive direction. And there are people who've been alienated from the party who are now being reengaged because they are excited about the direction we're going in. So I, I was looking at the list of, of attendees who have been at this uh, event over the years. Back in 2021, you had uh, the, the chairwoman of the RNC, Ronna McDaniel, uh, Senator Ted Cruz, Lindsey Graham were there, Christy Nome. Uh, even going back uh, a, a little, oh, Mike Pence also was there that year. I think Nikki Haley too. Um, Dan Crenshaw back in 2019. Betsy DeVos. This has kind of been a who's who, I think, of of those who are looking to kind of catapult their political career or names that are at the top of the food chain. This year, I, I, looking at the list, those names don't necessarily match the positions of years past. What what is the message to Michigan Republicans with the folks that you've got coming up uh, to the island this year? What is the message? What is the direction of the Michigan Republican Party? Uh, our direction is the direction of saving the country. If you look at the Republican Party, the party has been dying. If you go to most Republican Party events, most of the people there 
are in their late 50s, early 60s, and I don't say that to be dismissive, but the Democrats have captured the youth. We cannot continue to act like we're in the 1980s at the heyday of Reagan. This is the, the foolishness that destroyed the Republican Party. We want to continue to act like this is the 1980s and we live 1988 all over again. No, this is 2023, and it's a new day in a new direction. We've seen constant defeat, and to continue to act the same way and think we're going to have different results is asinine. Mm-hmm. So what we're doing is we're trying to show a different direction the party needs to go in if we are going to save this nation. Are you I'm seeing? Not in this position of chair. I'm not in this position of chair just to have a title. I'm in this position of chair to save the country. And one of the things we're excited about is these individuals are going to talk about so many new concepts that we need to embrace that the rank and file of the Republican Party do embrace, but we need everybody else to get on board. Are, are you still seeing robust uh, participation numbers for this event in the in the sense that people are still wanting to come up to the island for, for this event? Oh, absolutely. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. It's going to be a great event. And we have a lot of really great people coming, and as far as just the guests and the speakers. But it's, it's a lot of subjects that just have been ignored. We don't need more just rah-rah. I'm, I, you know, Chris, I'm so over the rah-rah. We're done. We are an intellectually stimulated group of people who want to discuss issues on a deep and intellectual level in order to move the needle forward. Not a bunch of rah-rah and platitudes. We're over it. We're over platitudes. We're done. Well, unfortunately, time is uh, short here on the show, um, but we look forward to catching up with you again very soon. Christina Karama, thanks again for carving out a couple of minutes for us. We appreciate it. Thank you, Chris. God bless. Yep, we'll talk again soon. Got to take a break. 800-859-0957. More coming up next in JR Afternoon. Well, I am absolutely fascinated with kind of this deep water exploration that's taking place all over the Great Lakes. And how about this one? 142-year-old schooner's remains have been located in Lake Michigan. Brandon Baylod is with the Great Lakes Shipwreck Research, and he joins us. Brandon, it's good to have you. Good to be here. So talk to me about this schooner that was built in 1867. Why why were you looking for it? Well, I, I, I learned about it maybe 20 years ago when I wrote a book about all the ships that were lost in Wisconsin waters. And uh, I noticed it uh, when I was putting together the book. There's about 400 shipwrecks. But out of all those, this is the one that I thought was the most findable. The captain gave a really good account of where it went down. And so, you know, uh, we figured we could find it in a weekend, and we did. So uh, what goes into this process? So the, 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 you, you had kind of about where you thought it was. Um, so then take us That's from right. there. Once you get out there, what are you looking for? What do you use? Well, we, we knew there were a couple of different counts. One said it was nine miles out. One said it was 10 miles out. Another 13 miles out. What I did is I looked at the old old maps of the day and looked at where the shipping lanes were and where this thing would have been. It was heading from the Sturgeon Bay Ship Canal to Milwaukee. And there was a, a course line for that on the map. And so I kind of bisected the, you know, the, the area with the, that, that course line and set up a, a search grid in there. Now we, we kind of figure out what we're going to do when we get out there, because you look at the shore and you think, well, what did it look like to the captain? What would he have seen, you know, from, and that's far out 10 miles from shore. You can barely see land. Right. And then the other thing we look at is how well we're seeing on the sonar. If we're seeing, you know, a thousand feet on each side of the boat, you know, we, we can find it really quickly. And that's what happened. We were seeing over 1200 feet per channel. That's a third of a mile wide three-dimensional picture of the bottom. We were shooting in every pass. So it didn't take us very long. 
So this was found in uh, uh, near Algoma, Wisconsin. Is that right? About three hundred feet right, down yeah. in Lake Michigan. So this this was uh, uh, the the schooner was the Trinidad, and That's it right. took its final voyage in eighteen eighty one. What was the Trinidad used for? What was what was the reason for this vessel? Trinidad was a grain schooner. Uh, back in those days, uh, almost all the grain that was harvested in the United States was coming out of the, out of Wisconsin. And you don't mm. think of Wisconsin as a grain state anymore, but if you were eating a sandwich in New York City in 1881, the bread was probably made with Wisconsin grain. So this grain was brought from Milwaukee to Buffalo or Oswego and then down the Erie Canal to the East Coast. Uh, it was a huge uh, enterprise. Uh, people were, were were getting rich, making millions of dollars a year uh, by you know building schooners and shipping grain. Um, this vessel was part of a, a fleet of several hundred grain schooners that were active on the lakes at that time. What was the what's the Trinidad's condition uh, down 300 feet below the surface of Lake Michigan? Well, she's like a ship in a bottle. Uh, it's really impressive. Now we have a lot of ships on the bottom of the Great Lakes, mm-hmm. and certainly in Wisconsin. But this one is special because uh, her deck house is still on her. It didn't blow off when she went down. And so we still have all the cruise effects. We have the dishes still sitting on the racks in the, in the wow. kitchen, in the cabin. Um, and she was wire rigged. So her rigging and her masts and everything are still there. So she looks like a, like a ghost ship, like a spectral ship on the bottom of the lakes. Uh, she's really uh, unusually well preserved. And so, you know, we've done a lot of work to try to document her in a way that we can share that with the public. Do you have the uh, the technology with Great Lakes Shipwreck Research to to go down uh, to the bottom, uh, 300 feet down to see the ship? Or do you use sonar, 3D? I know you talked about 3D technology. How do you actually see see the schooner? Well, our group works very closely with our, our state's maritime archaeology program, and they have the, the technology uh, and the equipment. And so we went down with our state underwater archaeologist, Tammy Thompson. Um, she actually dived the wreck and uh, did a 3D photogrammetry model by taking uh, 3,600 high-definition images uh, on the wreck. They had to dive it on a, on a technical mixed gas dive. They uh, had a three-hour and 20-minute dive. <laughs> 30 oh. minutes of which was down on the rack. The rest was all hanging for decompression. Unbelievable. I mean, it, it really is. How, how did you get into this? What what made you want to get into looking for these sunken vessels? I grew up up on Lake Superior, and we had a bunch of old ships right off of our house. And uh, I often wondered what, 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 what was their story, what were they doing there. Nobody seemed to know. And uh, I used to snorkel and clean the fishing lures off of them, sell the fishing lures in town. And I eventually uh, researched them in the local library, went to the old newspaper microfilms, found out what they were, wrote them up. Turned out they were really historically significant wrecks. And so I kind of got the bug there. And then, you know, from there, of course, I I took it up as a serious hobby. (laughs) I mean, it it really is incredible. I mean, I think this is this is kind of like every kid's dream. It's almost like buried treasure, right? It's there's so much information even at the bottom with these with these boats um in in terms of uh, other boats that you've discovered or have come across what what are other uh boats in the in the repertoire that that you've come across probably the most significant one in wisconsin is the big steamship lr Doty that uh, we located off of milwaukee wisconsin 300 feet of water uh, she was interesting because there was a sole survivor who gave just a riveting account of her survival. And then uh, later she was lost in a ship on Lake Superior, the Isle of Jeanette, uh, 
which was found when a commercial fisherman brought up her skull in his nets. And uh, wow. we went out, and sure enough, there was the allergy net. So this one woman cook helped us find the ship off Milwaukee and the one up on Lake Superior, <laughs> one through her account, the other through her, her name. Unbelievable. Um, that was probably the most dramatic one we did. I, and and the other benefit, I think, of 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 these shipwrecks in in our Great Lakes is that the, the they do tend to preserve well. They do end up, uh, in a lot of cases, holding up better than obviously in the ocean where you've got the salt and and the 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 combinations of of deteriorating factors. There are our shipwrecks generally hold up better. Well, yeah, which is a weird thing to say now that I say that out loud. But just in terms <laughs> of research and being able to to find out more about them, it, it, it does help. Well, you know, like I say, they're nautical time capsules, but we, we do have a bit of a race against time because these invasive zebra and quagga mussels that come in from the Black Sea and the ship and the hold of ocean going vessels are starting to encrust all these historic wooden wrecks. Yeah. Many of them are starting to collapse and uh, we're trying to find them all and document them while they're still there. Uh, they have a shelf life. Uh, they don't last forever. And now with these invasive muscles, they really are starting to deteriorate more rapidly. All right. What's up next? Where are we going next? <laughs> I, there are other wrecks I've been looking for with my partner, Bob Jake. We uh, we were just out last weekend. We're going out again this weekend uh, off of uh, uh, Wisconsin Port looking for a historic shipwreck. What, what's, your, uh, what's your season look like usually? Well, the best time is, is may and june really because the water column is more uniform we don't have thermoclines because sonar bounces off thermoclines you mm-hmm. can't see the bottom well this time of year it gets a little better because it gets cooler again water cools down so we're going to be done though here in a couple of weeks because you get waves and you can't scan well in waves over two feet because the you know the sonar bounces yep. the towfish bounces in the water and you, you don't see the bottom so we're just about done for the season um, well, it's interesting stuff, and we look forward to to uh, watching along with you as you find your next shipwreck. Bandon Baylod with the Great Lake Shipwreck Research. Brendan, thank you so much. Appreciate it. Thanks for having me. Yeah, uh, interesting stuff. A 142-year-old schooner off Lake Michigan. Uh, very interesting stuff. Could could you? I got to be honest. I don't know that I could go down. Danielle, could you? Would was that something you would do? Would you go down, would you put a scuba gear on, or would you get into one of those vessels and go down to check it out? Yes, I would. You would. Mm-hmm. It's so eerie to me. You're eerie to me. It just freaks me out. Yeah, you freak me out. Okay, good talk. Mm-hmm. Uh, we got to take a break. Uh, we'll get you caught up on some of the other stories making headlines uh, as we continue here on JR Afternoon. Three o'clock hour, good to have you back. Should we do that? Should we do a a show haunted house trip? The, 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 the conversations, folks, behind the scenes is, is something else. Uh, you know, we're talking about, you know, uh, haunted house stories and there is a, there is a, uh, where is that out of Danielle? The zombie? Did you say, yeah, did you say Tennessee? The, well, I don't know where the zombie one is, but the, the most recent one that's making like headlines on YouTube is out of Tennessee. They basically like you sign a waiver, you pay money and they basically kidnap you and then beat you up. And then yell at you. And then do you get money back if you finish or if you throw the safe word out there, you're done? If you throw the safe word out there, you're done for sure. I do, And I'm assuming you get like some sort of like stipend for oh, staying the whole time. Terrific. I don't I'd know. love to pay for somebody to, to, you know, kidnap me and beat me up. That sounds like a great idea.
I, I do that all the time. I have somebody that tortures me on a daily basis. I'm married. Yeah. But I'm bumped. Mm. <laughs> Bev, that's just disrisrespectful and I don't I don't I don't I don't uh endorse that at all. Well, I know she's not listening, so I'm I, uh, thanks, Bev. I appreciate that. Uh you know, and then Dave's back here, Dave Rieger, and he's like, Well, they're just fake. It's all fake. Well, they they do a pretty good job of making it realistic. It's fake until you feel the, like I said, the wall was pushing me forward and I could feel the, the floor ending. It's like, nope, nope, this doesn't feel fake. It nope, feels like we're about nope, to nope, fall. Nope, nope, no, thank you. No, you thank you. You have a nice trip on this. I don't think I'll participate. No. <laughs> da- well, first of all, Danielle is leading the way. She's the, she, she's the front. <laughs> yeah, we'll be you, behind She's the leader her. of the pack. We'll yeah, you might her. like that for me. <laughs> you might like that. I just, I want you, if there's any stray bullets, I want you to catch them first. Here's, here's the best um, all right. Here's the bet that'll be made around the station. Which one of us will scream like a girl the loudest? Mm. It'll I probably know. be me or you. Honestly. Probably. <laughs> no, my voice probably gets me. lower when I'm scared. What's it sound like? <gasps> oh, right. So you just, you work there then. Yeah, pretty much. That's what they sound like. Yeah. All right. We'll do that. We'll go to a cider mill. Well, it'll all even out. It'll balance itself out. Can't be scared at a cider mill. If you feed me, I'm in. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Right. Fair enough. Um. All right, there there is something going on on Capitol Hill that that I think people are are at least need to be aware of, because there was supposed to be a procedural vote today to advance a stopgap spending bill that was put together by the House Freedom Caucus and the Main Street Caucus, but that was pulled from the schedule today, and because this fight now is going to a different level, you've got Byron Donalds of. Florida, the representative out of Florida, as one of the lead negotiators for the Republicans. And he lashed out because he supported this procedural vote and this measure that they've they put out. But he says that there are moderate members of the Republican Party that are warming up to the idea of working with Democrats to avoid a government shutdown. He says that would lose all leverage for the Republicans. But the proposal would fund the government for a month with an 8% cut and it also attaches the House GOP's border security bill to it without an e-verification provision. So now you've got moderate Republicans working potentially on a new bill that would bring Democrats in to avoid a government shutdown and that would spell disaster I think on a lot of fronts Notably for for a lot of Republicans, but but then certainly Kevin McCarthy, the House Speaker. Wall Street Journal reporter Evan Gershkovitz appearing today in Moscow City Court, seeking a release from jail on espionage espionage charges. But his appeal was declined and returned to a lower court because of procedural violations. That means... That the 31-year-old Wall Street Journal reporter will remain jailed until at least November 30th unless his appeal is heard by, by the court, which seems unlikely at this point. But uh, that is something, again, that remains to that, – that needs to be watched because you still have Paul Whelan on espionage charges in Russia – now, Evan, Gersh, uh, Evan Gershkovitz, also on espionage charges in Russia. And the, the administration says they're working on trying to get them home, but we haven't seen 
uh, any real concrete plans recently uh, uh, that would back that claim up. Uh, Meanwhile, Michigan State University releasing a memo yesterday under Alan Haller's uh, title saying that the university intends to fire Mel Tucker next week. Tucker saying he was disappointed but not surprised to learn that the university intends to terminate him. Uh, He released a statement through his attorney, going scorched earth, if you will, saying that this letter that Alan Haller sent out yesterday comes just days after he requested medical leave under FMLA for a serious health condition. He didn't specify what that was. He also called this a miscarriage of justice and went on to say, I look forward to one day obtaining discovery against MSU, including the trustees and the athletic department, to see what they really knew and said about this matter, as well as their motives in handling the entire investigative process. That means he's probably going to sue Michigan State University. But this story just it just isn't going away. Uh, the United Auto Workers strike, meanwhile, against the Detroit Big Three, continuing today with little movement at the bargaining table. WJR Senior News Analyst Marie Osborne reports that the strike will be getting a whole lot more political in the upcoming days. Good afternoon, Marie. Hi, Chris. Yeah, we did get word that there had been a little bit of movement, uh, this word coming from the union with Ford Motor Company, but we really didn't get much more than that. Now we understand former President Trump is planning to come to Detroit next Wednesday, September 27th. Reports indicate he's planning to rally with union workers, including auto workers. And that's also, by the way, the same date of the second GOP primary debate. Trump has linked the problems with the UAW to the Biden administration push for EV vehicles. While these plans are in the works, some Democratic lawmakers are putting pressure on President Biden to make an appearance at the picket lines here to show support for labor. No sitting president, by the way, has ever done that. Some say Biden needs to do that before Trump gets the chance to. Biden was supposed to, uh, has rather supported the UAW targeted strike against Detroit's big three. Uh, also calling on GM Ford and Stellantis to improve their wage offers at the bargaining table. This is all a delicate dance, though, as the president was has supported the automakers in the past as well. So how is the potential of a Trump rally in Detroit supporting the workers being received by the UAW? We have a statement from UAW President Sean Fain, and it says, in part, quote, every fiber of our union is being poured into fighting the billionaire class and an economy that enriches people like Donald Trump at the expense of the workers. That's just part of the uh, statement from Sean Fain. And Chris, more than 12,000 workers remain off the job at the three U.S. car plants. Uh, they're, uh, they are demanding higher wages, shorter work weeks. They want more job security and a restoration of these defined benefit pensions. Yeah, it, it is a, a slugfest and a dogfight. And Sean Fain making mention that towards the end of the week, as you mentioned, more plants yes. could be going up for strike. Yes, that is correct. He says that noon on Friday is the deadline. If they do not uh, make some serious movement at the bargaining table, more of these plants are uh, expected to go out. And as we heard from Eric Masters earlier with Wayne State, the more plants that get added to this strike, the more money, the more damaging it'll be. And certainly we're watching it. Uh, Marie Osborne, thank you. Thank you. We got to take a break. We'll talk about a, a local EV maker just based out of Royal Oak, 
introducing a new line today. We'll talk about an X on JR Afternoon. Well, obviously, we have we have seen automakers making a shift towards electric vehicles. And now a company based out of Oak Park, an electric vehicle startup, Bollinger Motors, has unveiled a new chassis cab during a, an event today, which is meant for mainly utility purposes, uh, municipalities, uh, delivery applications, and there's a whole wide array of of uses for, for this type of, of vehicle. Robert Bollinger is the CEO, and he joins us. Robert, it's great to have you. Hey there. Thanks for having me on. I appreciate it. it, it talk to a, a little bit about the, the, the B4 and what you unveiled today. Sure. Yeah, we were at M-City today with our all-electric B4, the Class 4 truck, uh, something that we've been in development with for the last two years. Uh, we've talked to fleets. We've listened to them, what they need in fleets. So it's a chassis cab, cab forward, uh, all electric, 200-mile range, great turning radius, um, upfit ready for any upfit they need on the back. So, yeah, we really took what fleets use today and electrified it. And so it's a, the switchover can be easy for them. What did you hear from from a lot of the customer base and in what they were looking for specifically? And then how did you work that into this truck? Well, uh, yeah, early on, a long time ago, we were talking to fleets and they basically said, you know, we don't want anything fancy. We don't want anything that we have to learn how to do. These are our trucks now. We just need to go electric. And that's basically the premise for what we uh, Mm. followed. So we it's a lot of work to do that, obviously. So um, we designed the whole chassis part, the whole high voltage electric batteries, you know, gave it a two mile, 200 mile range. Most of them told us they need around 100 to 125 mile range. So we got them covered on the range. That's always the biggest question. And uh, turning radius is amazing. So they can use it in you know, cities and towns. And um, yeah, if you look at it, you would think it's a truck that you see on the road already. And that's kind of the purpose. It was like to really make that adoption easy for fleets. Well, and, and sure, uh, that, that seamless transition. And now the, the next question uh, for, for these companies, uh, obviously they're looking for EV uh, you know, delivery trucks. It, are they outfitted with, with charging stations? Is that also something that you guys cover and deal with? Yeah, that's a big thing. So we're working with providers for that. A big thing is, you know, you have level one, level two, and level three charging. Mm-hmm. The level three is the high voltage direct charging, like the Tesla stations that you see on the highway. Mm-hmm. Those are expensive to put in. So most fleets only need like level two, which is 240 volt charging. That's inexpensive to put into your existing infrastructure. And most fleets, their vehicles sit all night and they have plenty of time to charge. Our, our battery charges in seven hours from zero to 100 which is pretty quick. And so all the fleets that we've talked to, they're like, oh, that's fine. We just need level two. And so it's inexpensive for them to do, and it, it fits their duty cycle already. How, how did you get into this business? I, I, you were, uh, I, I believe, in advertising in New York. How, how did you get into right, right. to vehicle design and vehicle manufacturing and, 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 and doing it all here in, in Michigan? Yeah, yeah, it's a crazy story. So, well, you're, I, you're, and you're coming uh, up on a ten-year anniversary here for the company too. Uh, eight years, yeah, we've eight been years. at it for okay. eight years. 
Um, but yeah, I went to school wanting to be a car designer. Uh, that was my goal. I've, I've been a, a car kid, a car designer all my life. I went a completely different path, ended up in advertising, all that kind of stuff, and uh, came back to it later in life and uh, just kind of was following a childhood dream, um, which became very expensive and very complicated, <laughs> but uh, stuck to it, you know, did not ever say no and kept going, kept going. And we got a great investor last year who got us to this point. So yeah, I had, uh, an earlier business that I sold and I, I threw all of that money into this and uh, started it, you know, eight years ago. And we moved to Michigan from New York because this is where everything's at, you know, mm -hmm. in the Detroit area. So all the engineers, all the suppliers. So it was definitely the right move. Did you ever envision that the future of the automotive industry was going towards electric? Oh, yeah, yeah. When when I started the company, I was like, OK, if I want to make a, a car, you know, because we were looking at passenger cars at the time and then we slowly progressed into commercial. I was like, any anybody starting now should start, you know, which was eight years ago, should start in electric because electric is so massively more efficient. You know, not just zero emissions, but the, the motors are 95 percent efficient. So electricity is is extremely efficient way to uh, create any kind of, you know, it's it's in all your machines in your house. You know, electric is everything else in your life, basically, besides your car. So, yeah, it's it's uh, takes a while to get there and get it right. And there's a lot more vendors now who can support you. But, you know, eight years ago, it was uh, it was a, it was a. It was difficult to start your own thing, but now we're we're really trucking along. Yeah, in terms of the 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 difference between then and now, what what has become what has become easier, and then what has become harder, or what remains difficult a difficult challenge to 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 try to work around? Yeah, eight years ago, like Tesla was the only thing out there in a way. Mm -hmm. um, all the big OEMs had not got you know were not on track with this at, at that time. So there are very few vendors who had electric components for you to work with. So that was the hardest thing back then. That's why Tesla made all their own components. Now there's, you know, all of the tier ones, all the suppliers are definitely fully into electric. So there's a lot more supply chain. There's a lot more ability to make a vehicle. But with it came with a lot, a lot more competition, right? Mm -hmm. So um, back then there was no one. Now there's a lot of people, you know, in the field. Sure. But with our B4, um, Every fleet has to go electric. They want to. Legislation's making them go that way. So regardless of us and how many competitors we have, which is not that many, actually, we'll sell all our vehicles. Like the fleets need electric. They want our electric. And all the feedback this week has been uh, that we made an amazing truck. And, and who are who are the, the your, your client base that you generally work with? Uh, we have a whole range of people. We have a lot of utilities, utilities, you know, especially electric companies. Mm -hmm want to go electric to use their own, you know, source, right? Mm -hmm. So we have a lot of uh, utilities. We have uh, last mile delivery. We have second to last mile delivery. We have uh, lawn services. We have municipalities. A lot of towns are wanting it for their, you know, four or five, six vehicles in their small towns. So we, we get it from all different directions. The fleets, you know, sorry, the upfitters who are going to provide the upfits that you see on the back of all these trucks, they all want to go electric. They have customers who want to go electric. They want to buy them and, and, and provide them to their customers as well. So it's it's really from every angle. Everyone really wants to go electric in the commercial field. Are 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 you still taking uh, orders on these trucks? And and what oh, yeah, do, yeah. and what do they usually run uh, for the B four? Yeah, we're we're basically starting orders right now because okay. fleets are understandably very conservative. So they sure. want to uh, see it, feel it, test it 
then put it on a pilot program, then maybe order a couple and then maybe order more. So mm-hmm. we're fine with that. We understand the the environment. Um, so we don't have our final sale price yet, mm-hmm. but we know that our trucks uh, are good for the $40,000 rebate from the Biden bill that went through the, you know, that last sure. year or whatever. And so every truck is $40,000 off. And again, a lot of a lot of states are legislating that you need to go electric. So like in California, we'll sell a lot of these trucks because yeah. they really have to go that way. Uh, Robert Bollinger, the head man at Bollinger Motors. Uh, interesting stuff. Keep us up to date on what you're working on. Sorry? I keep, just keep us up to date on, on, on oh, what yeah, you guys yeah. are working on at Bollinger. I think it's I think it's great. Yeah, I would definitely love to do that. Thanks so much yeah, for your time. You got it. We'll talk again soon. Uh, 800-859-0957. We'll take a break. Uh, Lots more to do today. We will talk a little more Lions because it was a rough weekend, uh, rough, really rough football weekend across the board. We'll have Steve Steve Courtney uh, join us here shortly as well. 800-859-0957. 800-859-0WJR. Chris Renwick here on All Talk, or uh, on All Talk, uh, on JR Afternoon. We talked about Donald Trump meeting with UAW members on the heels of the next presidential debate, which is set to take place in eight days. And once again, Donald Trump will skip the debate. Now, here's my question, and and maybe you, you, you want to call me crazy, 800-859-0957. It felt like that the Nikki Haley's, the Vivek Ramaswamy's, all those folks who got a bump last time from being there. You know, Donald Trump also got a bump from being on with Tucker Carlson. Do we ever see Donald Trump debate these Republican primary contenders? Like, I I, I don't think it's going to happen. I don't think he'll be on that stage. Yeah, he doesn't need to be. I disagree with it. I would like him to be. I think it's important. Again, I think it's important for him to answer some questions with, you know, in the line of fire. I just do. Well, if. if But he doesn't need it. So I just don't think it happens. It wouldn't be him answering any questions. It would just be him spewing what he spews. I don't know. And making up funny names to call Nikki Haley and Vivek Ramaswamy. And and different ways to call Chris Christie fat. Yeah. That's what he really does at those things. I mean, it's fun to watch. It's a huge train wreck, but I, you don't really learn anything about no, him from this. No, no, but I and I just I don't think it happens. I don't think he's I don't think he's going to get on this debate stage nope. until he's he's sealed up. Uh, you know the 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 nod. He'll be running for president, and then away you go. And will then he, then he the, will love to debate Joe Biden. Will be he? Will he be the first? presidential candidate to have done it without having to debate anybody else in the party i well, uh, i guess yeah i mean i yes. can't i can't remember this ever happening but he's There's, gonna be the nominee this has never happened i mean he is he is a trendsetter of a, in and of himself so no i i do i i do not i don't think this has ever happened before but i i do think that he will push hard to debate joe biden oh, he will he absolutely. will want to get on a stage with joe biden because He's, he does not lines yep, as we speak. Yep. Yes. Yep. Uh 800-859-0957. Uh let's go to Metamora, catch up with David. Hey David. 
Hey, Chris, I'll, I'll talk about what I was calling in real quick. But on your subject, on the subject you just talked about, yeah. you know, it's not just Donald Trump. I mean, Joe Biden's not debating RFK Jr. Or so, Marianne you know, Williamson. True. Too, or True. Marianne, yeah, exactly. True. And also, too, I mean, which I Trump think is, is wrong. David, this. I think it's wrong. I think it's wrong on both sides. Yeah, absolutely. But I think Trump is also doing things I'm not seeing from the other candidates. Like who else is going to go on meet the press, right? So and, and engage the other side. How many of these Republican candidates are willing to get anywhere near the picket stance? Okay. So, you know, it's 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 kind of a mixed bag with Trump. Yeah. Um what are your thoughts on that real quick? No, I think you're right. I I, I, yeah. I just I I don't I don't think Donald Trump's gonna put himself in any unnecessary line of fire that he has to. He doesn't have to. Yeah. Yeah. Um, listen, real quick, I, I I happened to tune in when you were interviewing uh, this guy that runs Bollinger. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think that was the company. Yeah. I, I was kind of taken back by a couple of things. He really didn't have a whole lot of answers to give you when it came to who's interested in this thing. It sounded like just a couple here and there. But answer this for me. Who models their business factoring in a, excuse me, a $40,000 tax? funded rebate from the government i was appalled when i heard that and and i'm just i feel like this washington dc generated uh strike which we know that's what it is they're all pushing us towards evs whether we want it or not most people don't um but i just think when i hear that it i don't know which ism covers that i don't know fascism socialism communism but there's an ism in there somewhere Mm -hmm. And, and i just wonder at what point do the people just say enough is enough and I just I wonder what sort of feedback are you getting from the average folk on this? Well, I'll tell you what. For, let, 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 and, and hang with me, David. The the first part where you said who's who's modeling their business uh, around a forty thousand dollar you know tax write off. I think every business is <laughs> every business if they can get a forty thousand dollar tax write off are going to model their uh, some 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 part of their business will be modeled around that. Um, I what I get from people on electric vehicles is, is a mixed bag. And I'll tell you like, from my perspective, I don't care if it's electric, if it's gas, I got no stake in either, but what I want, what's convenient for me, I want what's cheapest from right. And that's how most people feel. And right now electric is not the cheapest option for a lot of people, whether it's the vehicles whether it's the infrastructure, um, I, I, I right now it is not the cheaper option, and so that's I think most people share that sentiment. Yeah, I appreciate it, Chris. But I tell you what, I'm I got some real concerns when you're when you're talking about mining the minerals for these things, and you're oh, having sure. to use combustion engines to do it, and also too, I think you've talked about this before. They're not recyclable. No, uh, they don't go very far. These over the road truck drivers. Are you kidding me? What are they going to do? Stop every 300 miles to charge up? I, I just don't see where this thing is going, except for the elitists uh, that want this thing. I don't exactly know how they benefit from it. But for there's there's folks at the top and you know who I'm talking about um, that are clearly benefiting from this going in that direction. But I don't see where you and I are benefiting from this. And, well, uh, no, not at the moment. No. Not at the moment. Yeah. At, at this yeah. moment, we are not benefiting from it. And, David, I'm sure sometime at, at some point down the road, if we continue on down this path, we may. And I appreciate the call. Um, yeah. I just I, I think at some point um, we may get to, we may get there. We may get to the point where they're they're affordable. They're just like an ice 
and you're able to to get whatever you need, put the infrastructure in at home. Uh, you'll have a reliable grid. Everything will be hunky dory. I think eventually we could get to that point. Um, I have a I have a hard time seeing that in the near future, and unfortunately, they're going to be making more and more electric vehicles and less and less gas powered vehicles. But this push towards electrification, you know, whether it's I mean I mean heck, even look at Tesla, right? They were the only game in town for a lot of years, and they were able to corner a big piece of the market. And and even still, all of those people, I don't think Tesla buyers in the early years of Tesla looked at those cars as being convenient, affordable. No, I think they were they were collector's cars or they were. You know, I think there were people that were infatuated with the early adoption of electric. And and now they've kind of folded themselves in with everybody else that are making electric vehicles. Pat's in Richmond. Hey, Pat. Hey, Chris. Um, I just want to make a point of how ridiculous it is to cram down these EVs down our throat. I mean, I can see hybrids. Take, you know, look down Florida when you have the hurricane season mm-hmm. and everyone has to scramble and start moving up the um, up north from a hurricane. Good luck. With, yeah. If you don't have everyone in EVs, you're all trying to charge in a charging station. Yes, it is. It is one of the many scenarios that I've even put out there. Wildfires. I mean, look, the list goes on and on. Tornadoes, the whole deal. It, it, it can be. I, I think there are vulnerabilities in this. Yeah, but yeah, but I mean, exactly. I, look, are, are there vulnerabilities if you can't get into a gas station? If the line is so long and you can't even get gas, I, you know, I, you know, six in one, half dozen in the other. But well, but at this point, is less. But, you don't find in hurricane season much people laying around a gas station having wiped out by a hurricane. True, um, because they couldn't get out of the gas station. True, I just think I I I think the other big issue here is the infrastructure. It's just not there yet. It's just not sure. there. And but once we get to a point where you know it's going to take you five ten minutes to charge, okay, well that's a lot better than sitting there for you know two hours and forty five minutes while you get your charge. Yeah, yeah, well, sure, absolutely. And and I'm I'm still not entirely sure why a lot of the automakers glossed over the hybrid technology. I I to me that makes a lot of sense, but it's electric. It's electric, it's electric, and that's the way they're going. Pat, I appreciate the call. Got to take a break. More coming up next here on JR Afternoon. Tough, tough weekend in football. And, I I mean, Michigan won. They didn't look great. You know, you got Big Ten play coming up. Obviously, Michigan State, everything surrounding Mel Tucker didn't go the way they wanted it to. And then, of course, what happened with the Lions, I, I still am trying to figure it all out. Steve Courtney joins us. Talk a little college football, pro football. Steven, nice to uh, chat with you. You, my friend. Hello again, everyone. This chat brought to you by the hardworking men and women at Bill Brown Ford. Our gridiron heroes are back, forward down the field, a charging team that will not yield. My good friend Matt Garko, of course, along with Bill Brown Ford's True View Inventory, are fighting for fame and winning the game each and every day. Shop their True View Inventory at BillBrownFord.com today. Yeah, uh, Chris, on the banks of the Red Cedar Saturday, uh, I was there, of course, uh, launching the tailgate show portion 
of a football Saturday in East Lansing, and uh, there was a lot of optimism. Clearly, uh, there is uh, a, a dark cloud over the MSU University, the community, and, of course, the football program. The ideal uh, scenario, Chris, was that, yeah, kids are resilient. Uh, they understand that uh, their now former head coach had uh, got himself into some stuff, didn't he? And uh, uh, they were moving on with Harlan Barnett and, of course, Mark D'Antonio. Uh, they also had number eight Washington in town, and it did not go as planned uh, as Washington put on a show behind Michael Penix Jr., 41-7, Spartans lose. Now, that being said, um, yeah, kids are resilient, Chris, but at the same time, they're not robots. And uh, what has transpired in EL is uh, just unconscionable. And, uh, you know, it began ugly, and there's reason to believe it may, Chris, get a little uglier. Uh, MSU informed head coach Mel Tucker in a letter yesterday of the school's intent to terminate his contract for cause, citing a body of undisputed evidence of misconduct that warrants termination. Then on this Tuesday, uh, we find out that there has been a rebuttal. Uh, from Mel Tucker in his statement to uh, ESPN this morning. He claimed his firing is a miscarriage of justice and came uh, because of Ms. Tracy's improper public disclosure of the entire 1,200-page investigation file regarding her baseless complaint against me. Let's be clear. I don't believe MSU plans to fire me because I admitted to an entirely consensual private relationship with another adult who gave one presentation at MSU at my behest over two years ago. So you can see, Chris, uh, that this has all the makings of just going round and round. But at the end of the day, uh, shouldn't Mel Tucker be asking himself just one extremely simple question? Why do you possibly, with everything that the university had presented to you, and let's just start with $95 million. Why do you put yourself in the position that you did? Well, I think that's exactly the question. And he also said in that statement that he's going to obtain discovery against MSU, which means he's probably going to bring a lawsuit because he knows that he's out of a lot of money to to the tune of about $80 million. Steve Courtney, good to catch up with you. Uh, Hopefully the Spartans able to pull it together from Maryland this weekend. Yeah, homecoming, as a matter of fact. Yeah. Uh, kickoff at uh, 3.30. Chris, you're truly with the tailgate show. Looking forward to it at 12.30. It's going to be a good one. Steve Courtney, see you, bro. Thank you. All right, Chris. Take care, lad. Meanwhile, meanwhile, Ken Brown, the Lions. Yes, I am here. It, I, I don't know how much you talked about it yesterday. I was We were out at uh, Indianwood for uh, Paul's golf oh. outing. Oh, oh. Um, so we didn't get into it as much as I would have liked, but uh-huh. but still, two days later, this thing, um, I don't like it. It left a bad taste in my mouth, and I, uh, we we were talking a little bit about it earlier. It's like, you know, they didn't have a, a real pass rush. Geno Smith was able to do whatever he wanted to do. And then, you know, it, I, I don't know what happened to, to, to uh, you know, the, the gambler. The risk taker, the 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 aggressive play calling of of this team, particularly on offense, when it came to the last 
you know, one and a half minutes with three timeouts left deep in your opponent's territory, and they settle for a field goal. I, I just, I don't know what happened. I agree. But let's look at it this way. Did you think they were going 17-0? No. Okay, then, don't but worry I, about it. It's a but, loss. But, but this, is a, this is a team you should have beat. Why? You, you wish they would beat them. You think they had a chance or a better than average chance to beat them, but they were a playoff team last year that had a top five pick this year that added players. Didn't lose players, brought Bobby Wagner back. They're a better team now than they were last year. And okay, he, here's my thing. I, I still don't think very highly of Geno Smith, okay? Well, Sorry. you got to come clean and, with that. No, he's, he's a playoff quarterback. And, you know, you had two third-string tackles not playing arguing, on that offense. Not arguing. They could not. So they could, it, was just, a, it was a tie game going over to overtime. Let me ask you this, though. Do you believe that just some teams have other teams' numbers? Yes. Some coaches yes. have other There's teams' no numbers. Maybe That's the, the coach has a number on Dan it Campbell. They the played three years in a row, two of them with Dan just, Campbells, and he's lost them. I look back at what happened at the end of last year where we were waiting for you know, the Rams to beat the Seahawks and we needed to beat Green Bay, and you do that that song and dance, and it's like if you would have made – you know, Seattle punt once last year when they were in your house, you, you you would have been in the playoffs. So it's like, I just feel like for two years in a row, this team came in, got a win when you, you really could have beat them both times. And you're going to be looking back at the end of the season going, I wish we had that Seattle You look team. back on it last year and you wish you would have had yep. the Seattle. But this year might be different and why not? Look, all I know is, Concentrate on getting better, winning your division games. Here's the and other part: splitting on the road. They are banged up. They are every team banged are hurt. up. What do you think Cleveland's feeling today? Their best running back, yeah. carried off and well, out for the year. I mean, that's football. It is football. That's football. They got banged up in that game. Next man up. Next yeah. man up. Well, now you're going to really see what kind of depth they have. Well, luckily they're playing at home against a team that's not as good as the team they played last week. Yeah, I agree. So you know if they were playing like you know. Uh, Philadelphia next week, I would yeah, be worried. We're worried. But, yeah, you yeah know, sure. This is a team we should be able to get with a 30 man roster. I was, I, that's all I said about Seattle, and you yelled at me. I don't know why. Uh, what do you, <laughs> what, what do you got coming up today? Uh, we're going to talk about Gino Vanelli will be on with us. Kat oh, cool. Temp will be on with us, the yeah. comedian, Fox. Comedian. Yeah, she's on Fox, right? She's on Fox. Yeah. Also, we're going to talk about this uh, person that was killed at the Patriots game. And, you know. I just saw that. Why? So, did they, uh, he got punched? He got punched. He fell back. He hit his head. And um, I guess some of the fans gave him a CPR or whatever. Thought he had made it, but he died overnight, I guess. And is anybody to blame for this? Or society to blame for this? Is there anything you can do about it? Here's the deal. People at these games are out of their minds. I, I yeah. do not understand how you pay all this money to go to a, a pro football game and you get into some nonsense like this and end up killing somebody. But if you, why are you, why? If you look online, there are why? fights at every game. I, it's all, it the, is all over the, the league. All over the league. Why? In every sport. Why? I don't know. What is the matter with people? Not even football. In baseball, the most calming this game, some, the most calming like game ever. on the same team. It's like going to an opera and fighting. Oh, my God. I just don't get it. I, I don't know. I don't know what it is, but I'm looking forward to the conversation. You be careful out there because yeah, I worry about you. Mitch Allen and the crew coming up next. That's going to do it for me. See you tomorrow. Same time, same place.